0: Well, if you'd open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4, we'll continue in our study through 1 Samuel. We have been studying for the last several weeks in 1 Samuel. And just to kind of refresh your memory, there are, there are three, I guess we could say there's three major major things uh, going on in the nation Israel at this point. They're coming in. Samuel's alive at the time of the end of the judges. He will be the last judge and the first prophet. And, uh, and, and one of the major things that's one of the major things that's happening right now in Israel, not now, but back then in Samuel's day, uh, the temple was being defiled. Remember that Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and, uh, and they were allow- Eli was allowing them to basically steal part of the sacrifice that belonged to God. And he was also, they were also stealing part of the sacrifice that was supposed to go back to the people and they were committing sexual immorality with the women that were coming to the temple so in a, or the tabernacle. And so what's taking place is that's a, that's a situation where, where the Lord's not happy with that and he's not going to allow that to go on forever. But at the same time that's taking place, we have a group of people that were told at the end of the book of Judges, they were, they were doing whatever was right in their own eyes they had lost the standard of truth. They had lost the, the, the name Israel means governed by God. They were no longer being governed by God. They were being governed by their own desires, their own motives. Whatever they wanted, if it feels good, do it. That was sort of the mentality. Remember, they're, they're now living among the people that they were supposed to have driven out. They were supposed to drive out and conquer the land, remove all the idols, remove all that stuff, and they failed to do that. And Now it's, it's severely affecting them. But what's also going on in the nation Israel is there's somebody being raised up. Samuel is being brought up. Hannah wanted a child. She couldn't have a child. She said, Lord, if you'll give me one, I'll dedicate him to you. The Lord blesses her with the child she gives him to Eli at the temple. And Samuel is being raised up. Even as a prophet, as a young man, Josephus told us at about 12 years old, he received the prophecy that we studied or the word from the Lord about Eli that we studied last week. So here we have these three things kind of going on all at the same time. And, uh, and we know that the Lord's not going to allow this situation with Eli and his sons to go on forever. He can't. He can't allow it to go on forever. Remember, the people don't even want to come to the temple because they realize they're being ripped off. You're stealing from me. You're, you're taking money from me. You're, you're, it's, it's just a place where now they've gotten in the way or they've come in between the relationship with God and the people. And we know that that's not going to last forever. So we're going to pick up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And this kind of belongs at the end of the last last chapter. And really what it's saying or what it's, what it's telling us is that Samuel, and we read it last week, is Samuel is being received by all men. He's growing in favor with man, and he's growing in favor with God that we read. So he's being literally raised up to try to, to try to put this person in position to be able to lead Israel back to the Lord and be able to speak to the people from the Lord, which they're, they're lacking right now because God has been silent, really. He's not, he, there's not much revelation being given at this time. We, we studied that last week. Now, in chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. So the Philistines come into play here. They were supposed to be wiped out. This battle shouldn't even be taking place, but it is. Now, the Philistines are kind of an interesting people. They live southwest of Palestine, along the border of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a seaport city. It was a, there was a lot of trade that went back and forth through there. But probably their strongest thing they were known for is they controlled the iron. They were able to make iron, and they they controlled that. They would received that from another people group, but they wouldn't allow Israel to make iron. Say, so well, what's the big deal with that? Well, iron was what weapons were made out of. Iron's what shields were made out of. Iron was what protection was made out of. So the Philistines were actually dominant over Israel in the military, uh, in in the in the, uh, I guess we could say in the, in the military ways. They were they were one up on Israel. Israel was kind of behind the eight ball. When they fought all the other countries around, they were kind of on equal ground. But with the Philistines, they were behind. They didn't have the same, we'll call it the technology of iron that the Philistines had. And that was kind of difficult for them. So, they had, so the Philistines had a strong economy. They had a strong military. They controlled the iron. They were the port city. And because they were the port city, they were able to trade with Greece, who was doing real well economically at that time. So they were trading back and forth. And uh, the Philistines are always a thorn in the side of Israel. They're always a problem. It's, it's, this, it's, it's, it's this picture of the Lord says, hey, wipe this thing out. And they don't. And it bothers them and bothers them and bothers them. And it works the same way for us. Sometimes the Lord will come to you and say, hey, there's this thing in your life. There's this thing that you're doing or you're saying or thinking or there's this sin, sin in your life. And I really want you to address it. I really want you to wipe it out. I really want you to get rid of that, that thing that, that's getting in between the way of our relationship. And yeah, Well, Lord, I kind of like it it's kind of fun, it's my stress reliever, it's whatever it is, and it continues to be a thorn in your side. It continues to be a a war, a battle that shouldn't even be happening. Wipe it out, get rid of it. So here we see they go to battle, and well, Israel loses, and they lost 4,000 men. How long do you think a country can survive if they keep losing battles like that? Not very long. So they find themselves kind of in this position of they're, they're in dire straits. What do we do? We've got to figure something out. We can't, we can't keep, we're, we're going to be wiped out if we continue this. And then in verse 3, it says, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring, it from, bring from the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Now, do you see their idea? Do you see their plan? Hey, we got beat pretty bad today. Matter of fact, we got whipped. We lost 4,000 people. By the way, we can kind of throw out a number, but they had to dig 4,000 graves. The law of Israel was they had to be, be buried before sundown. So 4,000 people is a lot of people. They had to dig 4,000 graves for their brothers. As they bury their brothers, as they come back together to try to figure out a battle plan, I know, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something very, very particular there let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. What's going to save them from the hand of their enemies? It, not who. They're not saying that God may deliver us from the hand of their enemies. They're saying it may deliver us from the hand. The ark of the covenant will be the thing that delivers us. Here's the problem. They weren't looking to God, but they were looking to a symbol that represents a covenant with God. They weren't looking to God for their salvation. For their, for they, they, they were looking to the symbol that God used to represent himself, represent the covenant to them. As people, we like to look for symbols to identify with. The Ark of the Covenant, they'd never seen it before. It was tucked away. Do you know what the Ark of the Covenant was? Did you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? That was a pretty good impression. I mean, that was a pretty good depiction of what it really looks like. If you can remember, how long ago did that movie come out? That was a while ago, wasn't it? What is it? 88, 89, wow. But that's, that's it, it, it was a square box, a little over two feet long, a little over two feet high. And uh, it, it contained, uh, anybody know what it contained? It contained three things. It contained a jar of manna, Aaron's rod, and it got the easy thing. Come on. Somebody say The commandments, exactly. So it contained those three things. And what was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. The, the, The cover was represented as the mercy seat. So we had the law of God contained within. We had the mercy seat on top. And it was literally a representation of the throne of God here on earth. It was where God forgave the sins of his people. It's where God met with his people. And it was kept in a special place. Where was it kept at? It was kept in the Holy of Holies. Well, you couldn't go in there anytime you wanted, could you? No, you as a, if you were Jewish, you could go to the tabernacle, but only the priest, only a priest could go into the holy place. And then beyond the holy place was the Holy of Holies. And only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies how often? Once a year. Once a year to atone, to sprinkle some blood from an animal on the mercy seat to forgive the sins of the nation Israel. That's the way that God had ordained for for mankind, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, to meet with him to be forgiven for their sins. Now, even that was a dangerous feat. If you've ever studied it, the priest had to wear a special garment to go in. And on the bottom of his garment was pomegranates and bells on the bottom of his robe, right? And you can imagine as he walked, if you had a robe covered with bells on the bottom, what would it sound like? tingling tingling you'd hear him tingling all as he goes in but they did something else a little well you might think it's weird they tied a rope to his foot they tied a rope to his foot and he went into the holy of holies once a year why'd they tie a rope to his foot rob because if he hadn't followed the proper procedure if he wasn't ceremonially clean if he hasn't done hadn't done exactly what god had said to do the moment he walked into the holy of holies He'd be struck down dead. So they would watch him walk in. They could hear him as the bells would go in. If the bells stopped and came crashing down, they'd pull him out with the rope. Nobody else could go in behind him. And the next one, that was always the high priest that went in. And then, the, How'd you like to be the second guy to go in? I wouldn't want that job, huh? Here's the, here's the point of it all. They were focusing more on the symbol of god than they were focusing on god that happens today what would be the symbol the church focuses on today what do you wear around your neck what do we put on the wall the cross what does the cross mean the cross is nothing but an instrument of death isn't it that's just where christ was crucified but no rob you're 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 taking away no no don't don't misunderstand If you have to pray before a cross, if you have to do, you know, I I need to bow before the cross. Be careful, you might be worshiping the cross. And the cross is not what we worship. The cross is where our Savior was sacrificed. We worship Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sin. He just did so on the cross. Are you saying crosses are bad? Not at all. I'm not saying they're bad at all. Are you saying we shouldn't wear them around our neck? Not at all. Are you saying we, I shouldn't have one on my Bible cover? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying be careful because in human form we'll find things to connect with us, and we like symbols. And you look at say, well, how could those people worship little wooden idols and, and idols made of metal? Well, how could we worship a cross? But it happens all the time. It happens. I, I've heard people say, where's your cross in your church? How come you don't have a cross in your church? Well, we, we just don't have one. It's, I'm not against it. We just, we just don't have one you see how it can become a symbol of we could actually, you could actually find yourself worshiping the cross and not the Savior who died on the cross? That's what they were doing. They were worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. We don't need God. Just bring the Ark of the Covenant in. And here's their mindset. God's not going to let anything happen to the Ark of the Covenant, right? He's not going to let something happen crazy like that. We'll force his hand. Besides, he's done it before. Remember the Battle of Jericho where they marched around the walls of Jericho? What went first? The Ark of the Covenant. When they fought the Midianites, what'd they bring? The Ark of the Covenant. Well, it's the prescription. We'll just bring the Ark of the Covenant. But they found themselves in this dangerous place of worshiping the things of God and not worshiping God. Be careful, Christian, that that doesn't become us. We don't worship a church. We don't worship a statue. We don't worship a building. We don't worship the things of God. We worship God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. Those things might represent us, represent them to us, and that's okay. But don't ever cross the line to where the thing becomes more, more, more important than my God. They were making this mistake. What should they have done when they got their butts kicked and lost 4,000 people? What really should have been their response? Well, the first thing they should have done is humble themselves. They should have humbled themselves. They didn't humble themselves. What'd they say? We got the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go get it. We're bringing out our, we got an ace in the hole. Let's go get it. Let's bring it out. They can't stand up against that. They should have humbled themselves and said, Lord, we got beat today. We don't know what's going on. We, 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 don't, we, we really need some guidance here, Lord. We really need some help. Can you Can you help us on what we should do next in our life? And they should have repented. They should have realized, you know what, Father? We thought you told us to go into battle. We thought you were leading that, but obviously you weren't. And they should have prayed. Lord, what do you want us to do now? What do you want us to do? How do we handle this? Where do we go from here? Lord, if we keep going this way, we're not going to be a nation anymore. And then they should have done the most important thing. They should have waited on the voice of the Lord. It's not like God wasn't speaking. God would have spoke to them. God was in the midst of raising up a prophet for them anybody that wants to hear from God will hear from God. I don't believe for a moment that someone could ever say, I'm really trying to hear from God and he won't tell me anything. He says this, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. How much good gifts, if if a father on earth knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does a father in heaven want to give good gifts? You see, that's the heart of God. Now, they made this mistake. They were defeated. They go get the ark. They bring it all the way from Shiloh, which was no short trek, by the way. And they think the ark is what's going to save us from our enemies. And then notice who they have carrying the ark. It's Hophni and Phinehas. That's who's carrying it. Because you had to be a a priest to carry the ark. And it wasn't supposed to be carried unless the tabernacle moved. It wasn't supposed to be taken out. So Hophni, Can you imagine this conversation with Eli? hey, we need to borrow the ark for a couple days. Why? Well, we've got to take it down to battle so we, so we can beat the Philistines. Now, Eli, for some reason, goes, okay, sure, go ahead. Take Hophni and Phinehas. Come on, guys, go ahead and haul the ark down there for them. Well, it wasn't like they could load it on a tractor trailer. They had to carry this thing down there. So they carry it down there. Look at verse 5. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Notice, pause right there for a minute. The ark comes in. The people had never seen the ark. It was was covered when they took it. But they'd never seen it. Can you imagine? You're you're sitting around the camp. You just got beat in battle. It's probably been a couple days for them to get it down here. And all of a sudden, off in the distance, here comes the Ark of the Covenant. And the shout is let out, and it's incredibly loud. Who are they shouting for? It, It sounds like a church service. It sounds like they're worshiping. It sounds like, hooray for God. But the problem is, God wasn't there. God wasn't there. And that leads me to this thought. In the midst of shouting for God... God might not always be there. You could find somebody all excited over the Lord, praising God, shouting for God, woohoo! God's with us, and God's not with them at all. If you know the end of the story, God's, well, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait. God's not with them in this. This wasn't God's idea. This was their idea. Well, how do you know God's not with them? Because they're looking to the ark for salvation. They're looking to the ark to help them in battle, not God. God's not with them at all. Emotionally, loud doesn't always mean worship. Remember that. Emotional, loud doesn't always mean worship. Worship is a condition of someone's heart. I can worship the Lord with my hands in the air, praising him like this, or I could be doing it for man. How do you know the difference? You don't. Only I know the difference. It's in my heart. I can worship the Lord with my hands in my pocket, my eyes closed, and just quietly looking down at the ground. Or, my eyes are closed, I'm not looking at anything. How do you know if I'm worshiping the Lord? You don't. I could be in deep worship, in deep fellowship, or I could just be thinking about what I'm doing when this guy stops talking. Do you see the point? Just because it sounds good, it doesn't always mean it's good, it doesn't mean the Lord's there. Although we find, we find in verse 7, the Philistines, they were afraid for they said god has come into the camp and they said woe to us for such a thing has never happened before woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods these are the gods who struck the egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness notice they know what's going on they've heard the, they know the bible they really do they made a mistake with the wilderness the plagues weren't in the wilderness the plagues were in egypt but for the most part they recognized we're in trouble here. We're we're, we're facing something. We we don't know what to do. Who's going to deliver us? They understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. It means they knew about God. They'd heard about God. They knew about God. They They weren't worshiping God. They were purposely choosing not to worship God and to worship Dagon and their gods. They knew about God, and they didn't want anything to do with him. That's what happens today right? Everybody in our country has heard about God. Everybody, I, I got to think the majority of people have heard about Jesus. You know, we've, we've been just you know, growing, well, I guess maybe not the younger generation, but most people have heard about Jesus and they've heard about God, but they choose, they choose not to follow. It's a conscious choice. It's a decision that they're making. I don't want to, I don't want to follow the God of the Hebrews. Why? Because then I have to stop doing what I'm doing. Then I have to stop living how I'm living. If I recognize there's a God, all of a sudden, that impacts every area of my life, doesn't it? And I'm not willing to stop worshiping Dagon, and I'm not willing to stop worshiping the other gods, and I'm not willing to give these things up. They knew there was a God. They recognized the power of God. They'd heard the stories of God. That's why they were afraid. They sh- if they weren't afraid, they would have been like, "We ain't worried about that God. We got Dagon. We got our gods. We don't need that. Who cares? Let them bring whoever they want." But instead, they're trembling. They're scared. They're afraid. Who's going to deliver us from their gods? But then they do something interesting. We come to verse 9. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. There's no implication on who said this. We don't know who said it. We don't know who was talking to the Philistines. But they say something interesting. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men. Why did they say that? Because they were afraid. And here comes some insight. Be strong, conduct yourselves like men. In spite of their fear, in spite of your fear, don't give up. In spite of your fear, this, this message to the Philistines is don't give up fight don't give up fight i think as christians we need to remember that i think we can learn a lot from a heathen culture that can say be strong of good courage and fight like men don't give up can i just tell you that the following god is not easy it's not any do you think it is do do you think that every time oh if god's in it it'll always be easy If God wants me to do this, then everything will line up perfectly and it'll it'll never be a problem. It'll it'll always be wonderful. It's not true at all. But Rob, I thought I heard that verse that said something about my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Well, that is true, but there's still a burden and there's still a yoke and there's still a plow to be pulled. There's still an effort that needs to be made. Don't make the mistake of ever stopping some work for the Lord because it's not easy anymore. Because sometimes we have to fight. Sometimes we have to be strong and of good courage. Sometimes if you're afraid of something, you have to put your head down and fight and pull harder and not give up on something. And I wrote this down. Many battles have been won because of courage and persistence, even for the wrong side. Many battles have been won because of courage and persistence, even for the wrong side. As Christians, we don't always want to back down. Sometimes there's a time to fight and keep pushing forward on things. Sometimes there's a time to just put our heads down and say, we are not afraid, or even if we are afraid, we're going to move forward on this. So, the Philistines were afraid. They're told to be strong and conduct yourselves like men. You Philistines, do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought. Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That, my friends, is a bad day. That's a bad day. They go to battle. Not only are they defeated, 30,000 of their men died. Now they have to dig 30,000 graves. 30,000 of their men died. Then the Ark of the Covenant is captured and the two guys carrying it, well, they were killed, Hophni and Phinehas. That's a bad day, wouldn't you think? Hmm. You ever had a bad day? Yeah. All the time, right? All the time. Yeah. Here's a little thought for you. What do you do when you have a bad day? Turn to God. The quicker you can get your mind off of your day, and the circumstances around that bad day and get it back to God, the better off you'll be. Think about that for a minute. The quicker I can get my mind or you can get your mind back to God, put it back in worship, realize who he is, the better off you're going to be. Because if you don't, you know what's going to happen? One thing's going to add to another and it's going to get worse. And can I say worser? It's not really a word. It's going to go from bad to worst, worst, bad to worst going to get really really bad but it's inevitable isn't it won't we all have bad days we really will we really will but get your mind off of your circumstance and put it back on the lord and you'll find that it will begin to work itself out now let's look at verse 12 then a man of benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and he came to shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head and now when he came there was eli sitting on a seat by the wayside that's at the gate at the entrance of the gate he's watching for his heart trembled why For his kids? No, for the Ark of God. Why? Because he's worried because he loaned out the Ark. Go ahead, guys. You can take it. Just bring it back in one piece, would you? Just bring it back. This was the most valuable possession Israel had. It was the most, not only financially, because it was covered in gold. It was acacia wood covered in gold. But this was their representation of God. This was the most valuable possession. And in a society that worshiped idols, they had fallen into the same thing. And they're worshiping the Ark. Eli is worried about the Ark of the Covenant. The man came into the city and and told it. All the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? The man came quickly and he told Eli. Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were so dim that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. I fled from the battle line today. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Eli just had a bad day as well. He just found it all out. He just found out what took place. And it happened, verse 18, when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. He judged Israel 40 years. What a sad ending to a life. What a legacy to leave behind. You judge Israel 40 years, and you're known as a guy who didn't heed the warning of the Lord a guy who would not rebuke his children, a guy who sent out on loan the ark of God without hearing. How did he get to such a place in his life? How did he get so far from God? He was supposed to be representing God to the people and representing the people to God, but now here he is. His life's over. He's fat. He falls off the stool, hits his head, and dies. That's it. That's what the Bible says about him. pretty sad, don't you think? Pretty pathetic way to end your life. Worried about the Ark of the Covenant. Why was he worried? Because he knew he wasn't supposed to give it out. I think, I believe deep down in his heart, he knew that he wasn't supposed to send it there. But yet he did it anyways. Why would he do that anyways? To appease the people. The people come with a good idea. I'm not, okay, go ahead. Just be careful. Let Hophni and Phinehas carry it off. Just be careful, guys. He goes to appease the people. That's their battle plan and he falls over dead. Now, do you think God's worried about the Ark of the Covenant? God's not worried about the Ark of the Covenant. He he can take care of that. He knew this was all going to happen. Now, look at verse 19. Now, his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child due to be delivered, and when she heard the news the Ark of God was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. About the time of her death, the woman the, about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, "Do not fear, for you've borne a son." But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, "The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. How'd you like to go around with that name? The glory has departed, that's what it means. Hi, I'm the glory has departed, nice to meet you. That's, that's who he's gonna be known for for the rest of his life. But she's so born up in grief, her father-in-law's dead, her husband's dead, the ark of the covenant is gone, that's the, that, that was the thing they worshiped. That's the, at that point, that's what they were worshiping. It's departed. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God really departed? Do you think he really departed? Or do you think Israel departed from God? Israel is the one that departed from God. Israel, when they began to worship the Ark of the Covenant of God instead of the God of the Ark of the Covenant, they're the ones that departed. They began to worship the Ark of the Covenant of God when they should have been worshiping the God of the Ark of the Covenant. They're the ones that walked away. They're the ones that left. They're the ones that had the opportunity to come back. But they put their trust in this box, in this representation, in this reminder, is where they're putting their hope. And the box doesn't work, and they throw their arms up in the air and say, the Lord is done with me. How many times do Christians today have the same response because God doesn't do what they think he should do. Lord, I did this for you. I tried church. I did that. I went here. I went there. And you didn't do what? What is it that he didn't do? And then they find out and you run across them. I tried God. He didn't work for me. You ever heard that? He didn't work for me. I tried. It, it didn't work for me. So what you're saying is he didn't do what you wanted him to do. So you really didn't try God. You tried to be the God of God and tell him what to do. And that didn't work for you is what you're saying. Why don't you try to let God be God and you work for him? Well, see, that's not our mindset. We come to God often like he's that genie in the bottle. Lord, will you do this for me? Will you? And then when he doesn't, God doesn't care. He's not around. He doesn't, he's not here for me. We're beginning to trust in what we thought God could do for us and not in God himself. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. God is not here to make you comfortable on this earth. God does not exist to make you have a happy life. That's not why God is here. We exist for him. We are to serve at his good pleasure. The sooner we get that through our head, the better off we'll be. We are his people. He is not He does not belong to us. He's not a rabbit's foot, a good luck charm that we can take into battle through our day going, all right, I got God with me. No, we're here for him. We're here for his good pleasure and nothing else. If you can really grasp that concept, you'll be saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I help you? And when you find yourself worshiping something or relying on something or focusing on something besides God, you'll have that heart that says, Lord, forgive me. I got, I got astray. I'm sorry I was complaining so much today. I forgot that you were on the throne. I'm sorry at my day that I thought my day was going so bad. I had such a bad day. I forgot that you were the one I was focusing on my circumstance and not on my God. Lord, would you bring me back in line? Would you repent? And then it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then comes the waiting part. Waiting, 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 waiting. Oh, we hate to wait, don't we? Sit down, be comfortable and wait a while. It'll do you some good. Wait on the Lord. It's very, very healthy to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the, how long do I have to wait? As long as you need to. Just keep waiting. Sometimes He wants you to rest and just be there. But there's a part of us that says, God, why would you allow this to happen? Your ark is taken. Your, your ark's taken into custody. Your ark's been, been removed from the nation of Israel. And I'm gonna suggest a couple of reasons. Number one, he had to judge Eli and his family. To, don't, they, don't you think they deserved it? Don't you think Eli deserved what he got? Don't you think uh, his two kids deserved what they got? Sure, they'd been stealing from God for years. Eli wasn't doing anything about it. Besides, he's got to move them out of the way because he's got to raise Samuel up. He's got to get that taken care of. Now, that brings us to our second point. Why would you allow this to have it, happen? The Lord's going to use this to correct the nation. He's trying to bring them back in line with him. He's trying to bring them back. Now, Remember this. At this point in this message, these people are confused. They really believe that God is gone. Do you think God's confused by this? God's not confused. He knows exactly what's going to take place. And if you ever read chapter five, it's hilarious. You'll love next week's story. You'll love it because it's really funny. God says basically to the people, if you won't worship me, I'm going to require I'm going to, I'm going to find worship. I'll have the gods of the Philistines worship me. He's doing this for a purpose. He's got to stop what's taking place in the temple. He's got to. He can't let it continue. He's got to correct the nation. And he's got to bring them back. And he will eventually bring the ark back to Israel. But I think it's... It's important for us to remember that fact of worshiping the things of God instead of worshiping God. I think that we need to constantly or periodically search our life and, and ask that question to the Lord. Lord, am I worshiping the things you're doing or the things of God? or the th- Am I worshiping something other than you? It's possible you could worship a church or a building. You could worship what God's doing, the work of the Lord instead of the Lord himself. And I think that's what we need to guard ourselves against as Christians. My heart, and I hope yours is the same way, my worship goes to the Lord. That's, where I want, that's, that's who I want to worship. We have the pleasure of watching the Lord do incredible things within the midst of our fellowship, within, the, within your own lives. Let me try something here. How many people in the last year have seen God do incredible things in their own life? Just raise your hand. Majority of your hands go up. Almost all of them go up. That's huge. That, that just that proves that our God is working in the midst of your lives. Now, let's, let's say it another way. How many of you think that God's doing incredible things in, in our fellowship, in our church? Yeah, me too. Isn't that cool? He's working in your lives. He's working in our fellowship. Wait till he's... What about our community? Is he working in our community? You better believe he is. We're going to put an air, a radio station on the, on the air that's going to go out over the airwaves. Air that's going to affect our entire community, not only our city of Cumberland, but the surrounding cities as well. We have a God who's not, not taken back by the fact that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured, but he's allowing it to happen for a specific reason. Whatever's going on in our lives, whatever we're doing, wherever we find ourselves, he's working in it. He's not surprised. He's not scratching his head going, yeah, I didn't know that Ark. Man, that, that, those Philistines, they really got that Ark. I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. And it's the same way with your life. He's not when, I, when I'm going, Lord, I don't know what to do with this radio station. He's like, well, I don't know what to do with it either. I, Lord, you, I, you started it, Rob. You finished it. I'm out of here. That's not the case at all. Just wait. And when it comes to your life, whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're going through, can you know that he's with you? He's right there with you. He's beside you. He's, he's there. He's not, he's not forsaken you. He hasn't departed from you. Even if you've done something stupid, You may have departed from him, but he hasn't departed from you. Well, how do I get back? It's simple. Repent. Turn back to him. Draw close to him, and he'll draw close to you. It's it's, it's an easy prescription. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as you speak truth, Lord. We've watched this unfold with uh, Eli. We've watched you warn him, and we finally watched you bring him down because he didn't heed your warnings. Father, may we not be people like that. Instead, may we be people who take your warning seriously to us, whether they come through a message, whether they come through the word or through the loving friend of somebody else. May we always be looking to draw closer to you. May may we always be evaluating ourselves and checking, Lord, that we don't fall into that same thing of worshiping the things of God rather than you. Lord, to you be the glory, to you be the praise. The cross was a great thing, but it's you're the one that died. You're the one that saves us. You're the one that provided the forgiveness for our sins. You're the one that provides us for the hope of eternity, not the cross. Not a statue, not a building, but you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.